The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. This is John Silver, lead recruiter of The Dark Order, and you are listening to All Things Elite. to the 116th episode of Social Suplex's podcast about AEW with the proclivity for positivity. Welcome to All Things Elite. My name is Austin Summers and I am the host of this lovely show. Joining with me as always is my good buddy, my good friend Floyd Johnson Jr. My man, how you doing? I am doing great. So today I discovered a new hobby because this is the first time I out now did it. It's called figure hunting. And I know a lot of people out there that do this before, a uh, person on the phone with us also included, uh, they have done this a while. But today I went out and I went to four Walmarts and four Targets looking for AW figures. Not because I like need them. Actually, you know, I got most of them. But it was just because, you know, it's fun. So, I mean, I, th- I thought it would be a good done. But, man... When you get out the car and you go into the store and you're going to the section, there's this excitement, anticipation, like, hey, what am I going to find? What is it going to be there? I hope it's there. And then you get there and there's something that you want. It's like, oh, my God. It's like the greatest, like one of the greater feelings ever that don't have anything to do with food or sex. It's really (laughs) good. It's just a really good feeling. And, uh. Actually, food, sports, and sex. Those would be the three. But, yeah, it was just a really good feeling. Um, So, like, JR told me last night, he just messages me. He wasn't telling me to look for anything. He's like, yeah, I'm really looking for a Bam Bam Bigelow. So, the third store, I get the last Bam Bam Bigelow. I was like, that's so cool. It's like, dude, gold. And then uh, I went to this other store. I asked for stuff in the back. They didn't have anything in the back. But this dude had this ultimate elite Ric Flair. And I just thought it looked really cool. So I went ahead and bought that. And then uh, around the sixth store total uh, target, they had a Miro unmatched figure. And I I didn't even want the Miro unmatched figure. But they had it. So I bought it. (laughs) Sometimes you just come across something you're like, oh shit, I never see that normally. I'm just gonna get it anyway. And I just got it anyway. And it was just like I got these three things. If you would have asked me at the beginning of the day, were there any of the three things that I was actually looking for? I would have said no. <laughs> I was like, yeah, because I was. I'm really was on the search for Cody LJN. That's my white whale right now. Uh, there's the Walmart exclusive one that's in red, not blue, and then there's the regular blue one because 
even though I did pre-order the LJN, I want the, another one because I actually want to take it out the box and display it around my room somewhere. And it's like, I want one for in the box and one for out of the box. So, I don't know. Figure hunting is my new sport to do because i'm kind of bored you know i don't have kids or anything like that so when when i have a day off like most people watch tv you know play video games well as you may know i work overnight so guess what i do during my normal shift i watch tv and play video games so when i get a day off you know the last thing i want to do watch tv yeah it's like most people are like so excited to get off so they can watch tv and play video games that's pretty much my life i've played through a whole 162 game season and playoffs in baseball and i'm halfway through the second season that's how much free time i have (laughs) yeah well uh speaking of jr actually it's really cool that you brought him up because he happens to be our third we have our friend our guest AEW expert Jesus, J.R. Perez. You can also catch him on his horror podcast, the Trick or Treaters podcast. J.R., my man, how you been? Who's the third guy? It's you. Dude, I was just about to say that. I want that audio now, and I want to play that when we have a third guest. Who's the third guy? (laughs) Is he the third guy? Yeah. Yes. It's been a week. um, This week was... The first time in 500 days that I've been back in my office at school because we've been, you know, working remotely since March 18, 2020. So trying to get back to the, you know, normal everyday life is uh, been very interesting and exhausting. Floyd says I'm even though he's older than me, calls me the old man because like at seven o'clock I'm already ready for bed. But uh, today, literally accomplished nothing except around five o'clock. I decided to get up, leave my house, and go for a bike ride. And I was out biking around for about an hour. And uh, you know, I I work out just like I used to when I was in wrestling. I wear you know like a sweatsuit or a hoodie, even in hundred plus degree weather. And it was funny. This uh, this older man stopped me and he said, uh, "He says, son, why are you wearing a hoodie in this weather?" And I said, "Well, sir, you know." Going back to bases, embracing the grind of wrestling. So I used to do since I was in high school. And he's like, oh, really? He goes, how old are you? I said, I'm 33. He goes, son, you ain't as young as you used to. You better take care of yourself. And he kept pedaling away. <laughs> That's an interaction. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I guess I'll share a little bit of what's going on. I actually got to do something I haven't done um, since everything shut down. I went to... Um, the best theme park ever, uh, Cedar Point in Sandusky, Ohio. I went there with my family, kind of like as a cel- like an early celebration for my sister's birthday, but also because like we're just doing stuff before things either go bad. We're basically just trying to have fun while we can. Um, but yeah, that was a lot of fun. The like, if you want to go to a park that has the best roller coasters, just straight up roller coasters, Cedar Point is the best place dragster was running that thing is never running when we got there it was down because of course it is you there's never a time where you go to cedar point where the top throw dragster isn't down but i checked the phone my phone to see the wait times to see if it was running like later in the afternoon and it was and we bolted for it because we knew the second that thing shuts down it's going to be down for another few hours and we were able to ride that and like Watch like footage of that ride. It is one of the craziest things you'll see. That thing just it fires like a like a just a torpedo just just 
shoots you straight ahead. Such a great ride. But that's what I got to do. So I don't know, Floyd. I, you don't strike me as a roller coaster guy, do you? I, I, I do love me. I do love the roller coasters. Uh, I, I went to Universal like for the first time when I was like twenty something, and I had rode like roller coasters there, and I just thought it was the greatest thing ever. I'm a big. I'm a. I, I love the rides. I love the rides. But you did. I do have a report for y'all. He just said Ohio is better than Michigan. He just said it. News. 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 August 7th, breaking news. Ohio's better than Michigan. Floyd is <laughs> twisting my words. Sandusky, Sandusky, Ohio is where Cedar Point happens to be. But that is like one of the few good things about Ohio. Because there's nothing else. There are two good things about Ohio. 21 Pilots and Cedar Point. Other than that, and The Miz. I guess you could throw a third one in there. The Miz is the third. Other than that, there's no reason to go to Ohio. There's no reason to visit Ohio. They actually, they always tout about they have like a Michigan Savers uh, thing that you can do for Cedar Point. And they have like a like a Coca-Cola, like you can get drinks all day, like free refills and stuff like that. And normally you get like the like refillable like souvenir cup. They didn't even give us that. So they're jipping us right now. I'm sorry. It's seems like ohio's upset that they're simply just a football school and they can't beat a team called oral roberts in the tournament i, I, I got a uh, i got a question uh when is the last time michigan beat ohio state we never talk about that but it's fine uh, uh, they, oh, they want to oh, okay. no they no. want to go on that that's fine i i pray every day that jim harbaugh no longer works for michigan football because i don't trust that man anymore but that's the, besides the point no, I had to we'll give you. I, I had to give you crap crap because I saw you like this is the greatest place, and I'm like, but it's in Ohio. Oh my god, you know. Look, hell, we like, have nice places too. Like, I, hey, hey, there is places in Texas. Exactly. That I, 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 um, I like. Unfortunately, I would I have go to, to Texas just to do like the Alamo Draft House because like the, the movie theaters they have there are so cool because you could just order a straight up pizza to your fucking seat. Uh oh, yeah, we have those in Oklahoma too. So yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. then I'll just go to Oklahoma. Then. Yes, because so Oklahoma is because I don't know if I've ever told you this story. Oklahoma once had a a great amount of cheese and it caused a problem. You know, we're lactose intolerant, and we pooed out, and that was Texas. Because <laughs> Texas is just a big piece of shit. Okay? There you go. Okay, there we go. <laughs> anyway, with that, with that little talk out of the way, we got to talk, talk AEW. We got to talk wrestling. We got a lot to talk about with AEW Don Mike homecoming back at the Daily's Place for one more night. Uh, and of course, we got uh, leading into uh, Rampage's debut, and of course, the United Center show and All Out. There's a lot on the horizon. Before we get into the show, I want to make sure you guys are downloading this fine podcast on Google or Apple Podcasts. If you enjoy us on Spotify, you can also give us a share with your friends, family, coworkers, whoever you wish, or if you listen on any other platforms where you can get podcasts, give us a share. You can also leave a rating and a review. Let us know how we're doing if you're so inclined. You can also leave a donation through our podcast provider, Red Circle. We'd be incredibly uh, happy, and you'd be generous as crazy if you would do that. Easiest way to support us, though, is on social media. On Twitter, we are at ATElitePod, at Social Suplex. Those are our friends, our podcasting network that make this show possible. Check out all their other shows. I am at S. 
Zoomer4, well, formerly that, I am now at Austin Sumowitz, A-U-S-T-I-N-S-Z-U-M-O-W-I-C-Z. So, it's so you're even forgetting. That's even crazy. <laughs> I, I do, bro. I've said that line so many times that it's just like, it's just, I, I've had that handle for like. It's a song, years. and that's your lyrics, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> you pull the ripcord, and that's just what I say. And Floyd is at Floyd Johnson Jr. on Twitter. JR, where can people find you on Twitter? And uh, what do you guys got coming up for the Trick or Treaters podcast so people can be excited? So you can find me uh, to go on the theme of being horror. I'm now at. Kukui professor that is Kukui professor Kukui is Spanish or a Mexican uh, folktale as like the boogeyman so that's why I changed my handle to that uh, something that us Mexicans have been terrified since we were kids uh, El Kukui but as far as the trick-or-treater podcast you can find us at at trick or treat pod that is at trick or treat pod the month of August we are covering Netflix original horror films uh, yesterday August, uh, what was that? August 6th, we dropped our first review, which was Fright, uh, excuse me, Fear Street, uh, part one, 1994. And then next week, we are covering, I believe it's called Hashtag Alive, and it's literally the name of the movie, Hashtag Alive. It is a, a movie that I believe is a South Korean zombie film. Hmm. And so that will be dropping next friday uh august 13th friday the 13th so i know we probably should have done friday the 13th but since we're doing netflix originals for the month of august that's why we're sticking with that so i'm really excited about this month because typically when we do our core reviews you know some of the movies are not available like on amazon prime or netflix so people if they want like kind of watch long and then listen to us they gotta pay for it so if you have netflix all the movies are going to be available on netflix uh, for this month. All right. Well, first, getting into our big news of the week. It's kind of a talk and uh, question that yes. we have for everybody on the podcast because, um, slight little spoiler alert for this week's episode of Dynamite Homecoming, uh, it did a million yet again. Dynamite, I want to say this is four weeks in a row that AEW Dynamite has done over a million in the ratings. And Honestly, just the question is because since returning to the normal time slot after uh, the, like the issues with, of course, the NBA Finals and the playoffs and and all that, now they're back on their normal time slot and they're going to be soon uh, getting all everything situated where that will be the time slot. Is this the new normal for AEW Dynamite to continually do a consistent one million? Is that their their audience is just going to be there every single week and then it'll fluctuate from that point. And I, I don't, I honestly don't know because I mean like the shows have been uh, promoted very well to the point where I feel like every week for AEW can be viewed as must watch TV with the way that they build up the big marquee matches, especially this week with the Malachi black and Cody Rhodes match that was being advertised as the main thing to watch for this episode. But considering how it's, I I just see it and I'm just I'm crazy happy the fact that they continue to do that and they're doing well in the demos as well. It's I don't know if this is the new normal. I'll go to Jr. on this one first because honestly I don't know. But do you think that this could be the new normal where AEW just for Dynamite they consistently do one million? 
Well, I, I think it's, uh, I do think it'll be around a million. Uh, originally, before we got to, um, and you are correct, Austin, it is for the, the last four weeks beginning July 14th through August 4th has been over a million. It was uh, one point, like 1. 1.02, 1.1, 1.1, 1.1. 1. 1. Uh, before that, um, July 7th was 871,000. And then I think originally I thought it was going to be probably around 800 to about 1.1 million. Um, and then as we've seen the other parties with NXT moving to Tuesday nights, it frees up anybody who was potentially like cross, you know, crossing over. Maybe they'd watch NXT first and then back later they'll go watch AEW, vice versa. I think it's benefited obviously AEW in the long run by sticking with Wednesday nights and NXT moving off of it. But I do see that this is going to be their range from about 1.1 to probably maybe 1.25. Um, and this is one of the things, though, that maybe for a longer discussion at a different time, and Floyd will tell you, him and I have had this conversation multiple times, is when you're looking at increasing your viewership, there are some things that you that AEW may have to change. And I'll leave it as a simple You've uh, previously you had Nick Gage and uh, versus Chris Jericho, and then you had Lance Archer versus Moxley. For people that are our age, they may be into that type of stuff. But if you grow your audience with potentially family viewing, that could be a potential turnoff. And some people may say, "Well, they don't do it often." But for somebody who's talked to parents who are wrestling fans, and somebody who uh, you know that I have a niece or nephew. These are things that parents are going to very easily just be like, well, I don't want my kid watching this because I don't know what's going to be on. I'm not going to be, they're not going to be checking every week to see if they're going to have, I would just say a hardcore type match or a a more of a violent match. So I think it is potential that it would continue to grow over time to maybe 1.5, you know, over the next year, but there's some give and take. If they keep going the route they are now, I think they're going to be comfortably in a 1.1 to maybe a 1.25 rating. Okay. Going well, to Floyd on that then? Well, I guess I had terrible parents because I watched what my parents watched. No matter how <laughs> violent or whatever it was, I just watched it. I remember, I don't know if y'all know this, this comedy show called Eddie Murphy Raw. It came oh, out in 19, It came out in 1986, right? Or 85, right? I remember it came out on VHS around 86, 87. I'm old. I was five. You know what I watched that night? All the way. I didn't get any of the jokes, but I watched it from the beginning to the end. And, of course, I watched all the wrestling. Like, I grew up with Ric Flair. If Ric Flair was in a big match, you know what was happening? That man was bleeding. He was going to bleed everywhere. It was going to gush. And it's all right. So, I don't know. I just think... Wrestling is just one of those family experiences. I think there's much more violent things on TV with blood and stuff, so I don't know. But let's get to the point. I think a million's the new bottom. We got a couple of people coming in soon, and I told JR, by next year this time, it will be averaging two million. I'm calling it right now. Calling my shot. Call me Babe Ruth. I'm pointing to the rafters. (laughs) Two million before next year. And I'm like, of course, we're going to probably hit it and go under a couple times before then. But I'm thinking steady two million before next fall as we head into all out 2022. I'm calling it now. If I'm wrong, whatever. 
I'll never bring it up again. But yeah, I like the new uh, base. I'm looking at this week. There was there was one match. It was a one match show. You know what I mean? I mean, maybe you can say two if you count the Jericho thing. It wasn't a very like dense match like the three weeks. Uh, I mean, the Fighter Fest and all those weeks. They were much more packed shows. This was kind of a lighter show. And it still hit the million. One point, at one point, they hit their highest, uh, one quarter, they hit their highest, uh, in the demo ever. And they were like 1.2. So it's just like, I think one is the new bottom. I, I, I do think it has everything to do with being back on the road and everything to do with, uh, fans being in it. Everything seems big. The show seems bigger than it has been in a long time, and I just think it's attracting an audience. It's becoming okay. must-see TV. People don't want to be spoiled. I do think that uh, – <clears throat> excuse me. I do think the last few weeks that they've put on shows, they've, put, they've thrown a match on there that makes it must-see TV, which I think definitely does help the viewership. Like I said, Nick Gage being on, I think, massively helped – uh, the Malachi Black debut for this week again also feel like that helped a ton. Uh, it's just it, it just feels like every and again I think also for the upcoming show that they're having uh, in well that they plan on having in Queens uh, for the Grand Slam episode I think that will do well just because people are expecting Daniel Bryan and it's it's I think they 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 know how well to real people in which i think is going to continue to help uh the show grow i do think jr does have a point that like even if you keep the violent deathmatch type or lights out matches to a minimum on dynamite specifically on dynamite because i think on pay-per-view it's fair game because like when you buy a pay-per-view like it's going to be like you know that it's not going to go by like FCC rules and stuff like that with because it's on pay-per-view so like you get what you pay for pretty much and it's fair to say it's like when you buy a pay-per-view it's like you're making a commitment to the show that like okay anything these guys put on like we're willing to put up with it but with Dynamite I do think yeah like even if you only do it once in a while you do have a uh, chance of turning people off just because of how violent it is like, which is why I was on the mindset of like, I love seeing Nick Gage on TV, but again, I don't need to see him on TV ever again because, quite frankly, he just doesn't fit. He's so violent and so vicious that I don't see him being sustainable on TV. But I would, I would love to see like one million be like the new like base for what you expect AEW to hit for Dynamite. I'm interested more so when Rampage finally hits the air, how that does. And of course, Dynamite plans on switching to TBS later down the road and having TNT be the station for Rampage. So I wonder how much the ch- how much draw off, dr- drop off there's going to be from fans as it moves over to TBS or will there be an increase because of people watching TBS more so than TNT? Who knows? Regardless of the fact, I think this is a good conversation to be having about AEW because it just shows that, like, people are interested and it's a lot better of just like, okay, we're doing, like, like really poor numbers. Like, we have to put a shot in the arm to be able to keep the show going. But anyway, I think now we can get into our review and our go-through 
of AEW Dynamite they, Homecoming. They're about to get some steroids. They're about to get some steroids in the arm soon. Yeah, stick it. Come on. In my veins. <laughs> oh, the, the thing on Randy Orton's Titantron, in my veins? Ah, yes. <laughs> the one thing I'll say real quickly, though, it's going to be interesting because if you follow the rumors as we're going, and obviously we've said CM Punk and Daniel Bryan, and Daniel Bryan, you have a direct correlation because we've seen people have seen them on WWE television. But it's going to be interesting to see how much of an increase in viewership CM Punk, if he does, if he is signed and coming to AEW. Because wrestling seven seven years ago was a different landscape as far as television viewing. Television viewing in itself has declined because of cord cutting and streaming. So, like, one of the things that Floyd and I talk about off the air is, like, you know, basically whatever your number is, is double it because that's how many people that court recorded. For example, I watch Dynamite through the TNT app. I don't watch, I don't watch through, you know, normal cable. So, I'm kind of, I'm really interested to see, like, you know, some people may say, well, if they only increase to 1.5 million or 1.6, but that is a very significant difference because television viewing ratings are not the same as it was. 7, 10, 15 years ago. All you have to do is just look at Grey's Anatomy or South Park or uh, Law and Order. Those rate numbers have declined every single year because of cord cutting. So just kind of want to throw it out there as far as like when these these things are coming, the viewing may not be what some people may have expected, but that doesn't mean it's a failure because of what how television is being viewed today versus in 2013. Sure, when CM Punk left, the network hadn't even started in WWE. So, like, they hadn't even switched over to the network by the time Punk was gone. And I would also point to, like, if you're looking at the ratings, like, to fully decide of, like, oh, wow, did these returns mean anything? I would say check the YouTube viewers. Like, check the view count on the YouTube videos of them returning. That will be your telling point. Because that's the thing people are going to be looking towards the most. Because, like, I mean, like... Hell, and this isn't a stab. This this really isn't. Like one of the most viewed videos on WWE's YouTube channel is the all-out brawl between John Cena and Brock Lesnar, where the entire locker room separated those two. That got such great view counts that like they do it all the time for any feud they possibly can. And hey, WWE, I mean AEW does it too. They know that type of image works for two superstars or two wrestlers that are highly like like popular and super over so check the view count i think for the youtube videos when if it happens because i think that will be the huge selling point of like did did people freak out about this and how how viral did this go but moving from that we can talk about aw dynamite homecoming emanating from daily's place and we kicked off the show with chapter three of the five labors of jericho The demo god himself, Chris Jericho, rekindling his rivalry from WCW with Juventud Guerrera. And the juice was indeed loose in Jacksonville. I gotta say, now I will I will be fully frank because I am I am a young lad. I am I am 24. I was exposed to wrestling at a very young age. I have no recollection of it whatsoever. So I did not watch WCW in its heyday. And I was I gotta say. And I will be fully honest, and this is not a diss either. I have not been fully familiar with Juventud Guerrera's career 
in WCW or his rivalry with Jericho. And I was I will be the outsider in terms of like not being familiar with that time frame of wrestling to talk about this match. I think this was good and it the crowd was hot from it out the gate just seeing this match. So it was a great starting point for the show. Um, though I will say, um, it seemed like Juventud Guerrero, because I don't know what other shows or what other companies he'd wrestled for since then. Uh, it seemed like he might have been a little, little rusty. Not nothing like crazy botchy or anything like that, but just like some spots seemed a little bit like either slower in pace or. But I guess it's just because we're so used to like the idea of cruiserweight and like I honestly. I would say it's because I'm spoiled by Phoenix that I'm so used to seeing like Lucha Libre wrestlers that are just like like ping ponging off of the ropes so fast that like it's like hard to keep track of that it was kind of like it was a lot more of a different experience. He didn't do bad at all. He honestly did good, but I think just from being the outsider of it, like and being spoiled by guys like Phoenix so much, it seemed like at the beginning like he might have had a little ring rust. Again, that's totally an outside view i'm probably wrong on it but the match itself was strong i loved the finish of him because i knew we forgot to mention previously last week in our episode that jericho had to do a move off the top rope in order to win the match that was the other stipulation but he did it he won the match with a flying judas effect off the top rope which was great and i loved how that worked out i honestly thought for a split second they were going to do it where he went for the avalanche, uh, the avalanche hurricanrana, and then he was gonna catch him in the in the walls and then win by that way, which I thought would be kind of cheating. But regardless, it would work. But the flying Judas effect was a hell of a way to finish the match. And before we get into labor four, I will go to Jr. for his thoughts on this opening match. Um. I grew up with Juventud Guerrero because I watched, I was a big fan of the Monday Night Wars. So I watched Nitro a lot. The, you know, all those Luchadors, Rey Mysterio, Juventud, El Dandy, Silver King, Eddie, and so on and so forth. Uh, it, it was nostalgia. I'm a sucker for nostalgia. Um, with that being said, this is one of those ones where, in my opinion, is just sometimes. Less is more, and I know they tried so hard because they wanted to spotlight, you know, Juventud Guerrero as a luchador. But but my boy's old, and uh, you know he was trying to hit some of those spots, and Jericho was beating them to some of those spots, especially in the beginning. Um, it was a phenomenal ending. I hate saying that because everybody knows I'm not a big fan of Chris Jericho. You know that's like my new like my new thing. Everybody knows me for is being anti Jericho, and um. But man, he hit that Jewish effect with the top rope, and I mean, it was a brilliant finish. I probably, if it was, if I was the one that like had the pencil, I'd be like, maybe do a little bit less high flying and just do more of maybe like cross bodies and planches instead of trying to do some of the spots they were doing to tighten up the match. Because obviously, I mean, when they wrestled, I mean, when he was in his like, you know, prime, we're talking about tw- 23, 24 years ago. And I mean, it's just, you know, he he wasn't there. You know, he was some uh, he was a few seconds off. So, but it was great seeing him. Like I said, nostalgia sells. Everybody loves nostalgia. Well, I actually saw him in Oklahoma in nineteen before you know pandemic happened. He worked a little local indie show, and 
he's he relies more on the fact that he's hooving to Guerrero than, you know, doing the lightning fast cruiserweight moves that he did when he's 90s. It's a lot more character work. Finally, the juice has come to Oklahoma, whether he's playing heel or face or whatever like that. So I think he uh, I think he definitely um, in this match. There were some times where it looks like the timing's off. It's been a long time since he's wrestled. I wouldn't call it ring rust. I just call it being comfortable with Chris Jericho. Chris Jericho's probably thinking he needs to work at a faster speed than he had to. And it's like, Hooventude's probably closer to his speed at this point. That's what I saw just from a, a lay person's looking. It just looked like Jericho was moving a little too fast for him because he thought he needed to. But I thought the match was good. I thought once he hit the Judas effect, I was like, it being a Lucha Libre match and Chris Jericho being friends with him, I just swore he was going to go up and hit a frog splash. I just like, man, he's going to do a frog splash. I'm like, that's how this match ends is with a frog splash. But no, he did a flying Judas effect. And I say this to any cruiserweight out there. If you can figure out a way to tighten that up, I would completely steal that move. Because I thought it looked really cool, but in my head, I thought of the ways it could look cooler, and I just I just thought that was pretty cool. So, yeah, I thought the match was good. I wouldn't call it great, but I thought it was good. There was what happened after the match, I was like, yeah, I loved. Uh, and what happened after the match was that Wardlow of the Pinnacle comes out, blindsides Chris Jericho, sends Hoovy with the flying uh, F10, and then proceeds to beat the living hell out of Chris Jericho. MJF standing right in front of the fans on the daily daily's place stage says labor four is going to be against Wardlow. And uh, the stipulation is going to be someone is going to make sure this match is called fair and square. It's Maxwell Jacob Friedman. So they're making him the special guest referee. So it's like, how in like it's the perfect like how the hell does Chris Jericho wha- like like work his way out of this one because MJF is literally the referee and he will not let Jericho win because if he wins this match he gets Max so that's that's a pretty good way of just being like okay you make it through all this and then like nope I'm the referee so good luck winning when I'm the referee so we'll see how he works his way out of that this honestly perfect way to wrap that like build up towards the final the final label which will be mjf such a great way to pull it off anybody else i was gonna say warlow looked like a monster i love warlow uh he's one of the people that i i will tell anyone if you look at aew's booking and how you can do perfect booking and how you can build a monster again uh, the person I would define is that is Wardlow. Wardlow has pretty much lost every big match he's been in. You know, he lost to Cody in the cage. He lost to Jake in the uh, UFC uh, type or uh, the cage fight. But he's a monster. He takes your head on the top ropes and he throws it into his knee and knocks you out. He hits you with that. Uh, what do they call that? F- it's not an F10. What do they do? They call it F10. No, they call it the F10. Yeah, the F10. And he just fucking throws you. And it's just like Wardlow can be anybody at any time. Wardlow is kind of used like the WWE used Kane for a while or the Undertaker. 
uh, actually the Undertaker. When Teddy Long, you would piss Teddy Long off, you'd have to go against the Undertaker. But it's not the ownership that has it. It's MJF. And if you piss MJF off or you cross MJF, you got to fight the Wardlow, you know, and he's going to crush you because at the end, uh, at the end, you will uh, in, in the end, you will um, know that you were in a fight that day. All right. I, I was going to say, I'm a little confused, though, because MJF said like he was going to be the referee, but the graphic, and I'm actually looking at figure four wrestling online, is saying that he's managing Wardlow to ensure the referee will call it fair. That's what he kind of said was that he was going to be accompanying him to, down the ring and make sure that the match is called fair and square. The commentators were the ones that insinuated he's the referee. So I I feel like the way Jer- um, MJF worded it maybe was an issue of like trying to make people understand of what it's going to be. And I, I don't think they put up a graphic necessarily or I, they might have at the end of the show. I might have missed it, but I didn't see a graphic showing that he was going to be just at ringside or he was just going to be like a manager. The idea that I believe they were trying to sell was that he's going to be a referee could be wrong. And I could check Twitter again, make sure if I'm wrong on that. But from my, from our perception, he's the referee for the next match. But anyway, I'll quickly move us on to a couple backstage segments. Uh, first up, Lucha Brothers backstage. No pack saying his transportation to the arena was canceled by someone. We wonder who it, it was. And Andrade, Alidolo, and Chavo come out and interrupt, trying to be like, join us. They say no. Phoenix says, uh, Phoenix and Penta says that the uh, Lucha Bros will work for no one and just walk away. And Chavo kind of comes like, they'll, they'll come around, they'll come around. And then we had another backstage segment with the Dark Order uh, with Hangman showing up, basically trying to grab his drink and get out of there as quickly as possible. And he also apologized to the Dark Order, being like, look, I'm sorry, guys. Like, I got to deal with the elite right now. I'm sorry I cost you guys your title matches. I will, um, I got to deal with this. And they're like, we got your back, man. And they're like, no, 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 no. Listen, I have to do this myself right now. I think it's best we go our separate ways. I love you guys. We're friends. But for right now, I think we need to be done. And everyone's kind of like, no. And then like, Evil Uno and, uh, Evil Ulo and Stu Grayson are like, you know what? That's what he wants. We got to respect that, guys. So that would lead into what we would see later that night. But so we're kind of seeing a little bit of like what they're trying to do with this new changed change in uh, in motion for the whole Hangman and Dark Order versus the Elite storyline going forward. Anybody got anything to say about these two or should we move on? Oh, we can move on. All right. Very quickly, we move to the trios match where Daniel Garcia and 2.0, which consists of Matt Lee and Jeff Parker, making their Dynamite debut, called out three of the top guys in AEW at this point in time, Darby Allen, Eddie Kingston, and John Moxley. So they asked to die, is what they asked to do. So, I mean, that's one hell of a way to get yourself uh, on on TV. Um, and this, I, I will say, I especially love the point where, uh, 
Matt Lee gets kind of starstruck by Sting being outside, and then Darby just flies like back first into him and slams into him as he flies into this into the barricade. Um, this was a match to get the crowd hype uh, with just like the, some of the best and top guys in AEW playing the hits against these, uh, for lack of a better term, jobbers, and proceed to just hit all these high spots, look great as the, the finish of Moxley hitting the paradigm shift and then quickly tagging in Darby to hit the coffin drop. Got the crowd crazy hyped. I will say, shout out to my boys at Rooster Teeth, uh, some of my favorite YouTubers. They did Darby's uh, animated uh, Titantron graphic, uh, which is kind of like the old school, like, cartoonish, if you want to call it, like, like creepy Mickey Mouse, but also maybe Bendy in the Ink Machine style uh, of animation. Shout out to them for doing that, because that's freaking cool. And I found out about that through them tweeting about it. Because it was a really nice, uh, I guess, differentiating from his normal t- uh, normal entrance video. But this was just a nice little short, quick trios match with a lot of high spots from Eddie, Moxley, Darby. All three of them so over. Uh, beating up these three. So I don't think... Do you guys have got anything to say about this? No. Um, if I'm going to jump in. You know you're supposed to go first, right, Jr. On these, you, you no, but I'll just say that <laughs> I loved I loved Eddie Kingston because he seemed like a kid in a candy store. Man, he was <laughs> in there. Yeah, he had the biggest smile on his face, and you can see he just kept grabbing Sting, and Sting wasn't expecting it. And there's this picture where they like froze Sting, and he has this weird looking face, and because Eddie just was just happy to be in there with Sting, that was great. Uh, Garcia, uh, uh, first time I saw Garcia wrestle was uh, WrestleMania weekend at, I think it was, I don't know, I don't know if it was the GCW show, it was the show during WrestleMania weekend, and I thought he was really good, thought he was really good in this match, I think Everize is very entertaining, Uh, one of the people, two people, I was very shocked that when they were released from the uh, NXT, because they are very good at sports entertainment. Like they're very entertaining people and they don't have to say, you know, like a lot. They do it with their expressions. It's a very physical and everything. Like he's in the middle ring. He's like, you want to take a swing at me? And it's just so funny because he has an energy about it. I thought this was a very entertaining match, a great way to introduce three new characters. I don't know if they didn't get the graphic yet, so they're obviously not signed, but uh, it was kind of cool, and uh, it was kind of cool to see them on the show, uh, and they dressed alike, which I'm always down for uh, in the six-man. Yeah, and <clears throat> I will also say, I think I saw when Eddie and John Moxley came out, uh, he had a ni- Eddie had a nice little interaction with a little kid, which I thought was really cute. We then had a backstage segment with the Elite, once again celebrating how Hangman and... The Dark Order cannot tap, t- uh, go after the AEW titles. Um, and they were continuing to do their basketball thing, playing off of the Space Jam intro from last week. And also kind of put out there that uh, the Dark Order would be t- trying to get uh, the Good Brothers Impact Tag Team Championships. So there's continuation with the Elite versus Dark Order with them going after those titles. And that will be happening next week. And they also mocked about how there is nobody left for the elite to challenge, nobody for them to 
defend their titles against. So they should just retire as champions, hang their rafters, their banners in the rafters, and at this point just put the titles in their graves with them because they will die with those championships. So bragging on how they beat basically the best of the best. There's no one left for them to beat. And this time they're serious because they shut down the Dark Order who would normally shut them up every time and Hangman Adam Page. That quick little backstage segment out of the way. We moved on to Christian Cage versus The Blade in singles competition. Last week, The Blade attacked Christian Cage after a match with Brass Knuckles. This was him getting revenge. And this was a quick little singles match. I gotta say, it it's it's building up Christian getting more wins, and it moved him up to get a win to put him as the number one contender for the world championship. Very excited about that because I mean that's what they were positioning Christian to do when he got into AEW. And I think the idea of Christian going after the AEW world title, especially with Kenny Omega, I think could be a great little like just like Clash of wrestling styles, I feel like. And I think Christian is very talented to the point where I would expect him to go for a title. And I think would be a fun little match for Kenny to really kind of get sweating a little bit. But I didn't really have a ton to say in this match. I thought it was good. But like when I think about it, there wasn't a ton for me to really like latch on to and be like, that was really freaking cool. The match finished with Christian hitting the spear as uh, Blade tried to sneakily get his brass knucks as the, as the referee was distracted, trying to put the turnbuckle pad back on that he was trying to rip off. He got speared. That was the end of the match. I love. I, I really like Christian. I say consistently that he's massively underrated, and I think the Blade is a good, solid, like like typical heel that you would get in wrestling. But I didn't have much to draw from on this match. Like, nothing really kind of rung with me. And <clears throat> I, I I think it's building towards something that I'm interested in. Besides the fact there wasn't really much that I could, like, hold on to from this match that was really memorable. It was good, but nothing really too memorable about it, honestly, for me. Uh, JR, though, thoughts on this match? I think you said it perfectly. It's building Christian Cage up and giving him more wins to make him a viable contender against... Uh, AW champion Kenny Omega and I'll leave it at that my big problem is is he beat an unranked person to move up in ranking does that make any sense yeah that is a thing. Yeah, I mean yeah. he beat I mean I don't, has the butcher won like a singles match other I mean other than on dark you know what I mean and you can rack up a lot of wins on dark but I've seen him rack up wins on dark but the butcher hasn't beat anybody and then, you know, and honestly, Christian hasn't beat anybody, you know, he hasn't beat a ranked wrestler yet. And somehow he's the number one contender. I know rankings are just used to push the storyline, but we do. Uh, I do hold people to a standard of make it make sense, you know, so that, you know, the whole Christian thing doesn't make sense. Um, <clears throat> the match was good. It was a solid pro wrestling match. You know, sometimes you just need a solid pro wrestling match in the show. Uh, the idea of Christian going all out as the main event, I'm only okay with it because, you know, technically Punk will apparently be in there by that. And I think the draws will come from CM Punk, but I think it's more of, I think I would not be shocked if on Wednesday that they announce Christian challenges him and they do Kenny Omega and Christian as the main event of Rampage. 
I wouldn't. Yeah. I, I mean, I would not in the one in Pittsburgh. I would not be shocked if that is the thing. Or they announce Kenny Omega Christian as the main event of Rampage on August twentieth. You know, you know, something like that. It just seems. It doesn't seem like the main event of a show a pay-per-view that you want to draw a lot of people to call in. Cause even though Christian is a name in the WWE, I don't, even though he's undefeated, I don't think you've built him up enough. I think he needs a win against Pangman, Cody, jungle boy. I think he needs a bigger name to really orange Cassidy to really be a number one contender. He hasn't really beat anyone. Yeah. I, I, I could believe that honestly. I think the the thing that they used to justify the 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 blade being the guy that put him over the top for the rankings was that he's because he's been on TV for so many weeks. We've seen him a ton, so that means he's like recognizable, I guess, of like somebody that we've seen week by week. Um, I do think that yes, like winning a match. I think that's the issue is that most of the guys that are in the tops of the rankings uh, that aren't MJF uh, are are baby faces. And I think that's just the issue with Christian is that he's a baby face moving up the rankings. And most of the male top rankings are baby faces. I think maybe Ty Dillinger could have been a decent one. I think, but again, like I don't think Did you call him Ty Dillinger. Shit. Sean Spears. Damn it. <laughs> Sorry. No, it, 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 it was more funny than anything. Yeah, it slips sometimes. Sorry, I'm a mark. I was just going to say that the only time the Blade um, the blade has gotten a win on AEW Dynamite was a multi-man match. Matt Hardy, Private Party, and Butcher and Blade defeat Bear Country and Jurassic Express back on March on St. Patrick's Day Slam in March. And he has not have a singles AEW Dynamite win at all this year, or probably not even last year either, to be honest with you. And don't get me started. I already told you, I don't agree with rankings in pro wrestling. I think it's silly. Yeah. Honestly, it's like at this point, like besides besides uh, on the rankings, like Powerhouse Hobbs was the only one that was recently on the rankings that was like a heel. Uh, that's not the champions of the of the of the division so like i mean maybe him but like again he they're off doing stuff with uh with team taz and brian cage which we'll talk about later but yeah it's like if kenny omega said who who have you beat what would christian's reply be uh matt hardy (laughs) yeah it's like no yeah but again like i i like where it's going how they're getting there is kind of eh, but if the if where we're going to is worth it, then I it really doesn't necessarily matter. Because again, the build to the Young Bucks and FTR's first match could have been better, but the match was so good that I don't care. So that's 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 how it goes sometimes. Yeah, and, but, and, and they could have fixed it by Christian doing something to piss. Uh, Kenny Omega off where Kenny challenged Christian and then I would have been okay with it you know but it's just the fact that he himself up the rankings is a little bit more of a difficult thing to get over yeah it's like he earned the shot I'm like well if he's earned this shot then um uh, what is it Colton Gunn who has a better record than Christian has earned his shot too when does he get his title shot 
Yeah, it's 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 the it's the uh, double edged sword that you play with rankings in pro wrestling. I guess I was gonna say it's uh it's interesting because I'm looking at Christian Cage. So his since he's been in Dynamite or AEW, he's defeated Kazarian, Hobbs, Matt Seidel, and Helico and Matt Hardy, and now the Blade and Singles competition. Yeah, which I mean, like, yeah, he could say he beat Powerhouse Hobbs before he made it onto the rankings, though. Yeah, but technically, like, yeah, he got a win against yeah. Hobbs, but it's just. So I like, think if you go by technicalities, I think it's just because recent with recently recency bias, it doesn't feel like he's done so much to get there. But again, the rankings are weird right now, where it's like mostly baby faces in the top five. Absolutely, absolutely. So, regardless, like again, if the match is good, which I'm sure it will be, because Christian's dope and Kenny Omega is incredible, then I won't necessarily care. But we're just in that point right now where this is all we have to latch onto right now. So, forgive us if we're being overly critical on this, but that's just kind of all we got to play with. And the match well, itself I, was, I was just gonna, a match. Not to, yeah, I, I was. That's what I was going to say right now, Austin. I'm sorry to cut you off, but that's kind of whole this whole situation between Kenny and Hangman, and now Kenny kind of going with Cage. It, um, I don't want to. It just seems like, for lack of a better word, like convoluted booking because it's like, why did you go this way, but now you're switching this way? It's because yeah, again, yeah. It in the match with Kenny. Excuse me, Kenny versus Christian Cage. If and I actually do agree with you, Floyd, I think it's potentially maybe on TV and to get Rampage over, uh, especially the time slot. I think having Kenny Omega defend the title on a future Rampage, especially that one United Center, is gonna be that would be like a really big move to make, and I agree with that, especially because of Christian Cage being the name from his WWE days. But then I go back long term, okay, or not even long term, but literally two weeks later, where does that leave Kenny Omega for All Out if they go against with Cage at our Rampage? And if they do have a match at All Out, especially when, you know, I know we allow ourselves to like, you know, read the news or read rumors. Well, it's even how good of a match it would potentially be, we know it's going to be hashtag and still AW World Champion. Kenny Omega. That's my whole issue with this whole Theo Christian and this whole, you know, booking situation with with Hangman and Kenny. Yeah, and I think it really is just because like these two massive talent uh options kind of fell to them and they were like, well, let's offer them something. It worked out in their favor, and now they're just like, well, we got to do something now and kind of like what they had planned kind of had to be changed around and when you're planned um like it's it's very rare where like your plan like when, when you have to alter your plan does it ever like feel like fully natural and i think that's the issue is just like this is the first time with AEW that like things kind of feel like they're a little bit off rails and we don't fully know where we're going and we're we're normally we're kind of like yes okay we know where we're going we're excited for it it's gonna be fun we're gonna be excited with everything that builds toward but now we're just in this weird kind of period where leading into all out leading into the debut of rampage like we don't know where a lot of stuff is going because there's a lot of like schrodinger's wrestling stuff with cm punk and daniel bryan and all these other things and like We'll talk about it later. There was another wave of releases that recently happened with WWE. Like, there's so much going on that it's hard to kind of even, like, it's very chaotic. 
and I think at one hand that's exciting. At the other hand, it's kind of like, well, hang on, like I I was with you, but then I wasn't, and then like, I don't know. It's it'll. I think next week I think should be a lot more of a clarity, considering that we'll get the debut of Rampage and we'll get also another episode of Dynamite to lead into more stuff. So hopefully by next week, with certain stuff leading with the with the AEW World Title and other storylines, things kind of start coming together. But I feel we'll quickly move on to this since we've talked about this a good amount. Uh, we had Dr. Rip Baker DMD with an in-ring interview building up towards Rampage's debut in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And she has a challenger for the AEW Women's Championship, and it is Red Velvet. Now this, I think, can be significantly better than uh, the starter that was her first defense with Nyla Rose, which I don't think was bad. It just was kind of underwhelming considering how over her title win was. I think Velvet, Red Velvet is a step up and considering it is in her hometown, like no, there was no way you were going to have a title match with her where she wasn't going to be overwhelmingly cheered. So honestly, best of Red Velvet to take it. The interaction, the promo was great. I loved how Britt Baker just was like, bro, I beat your ass in three minutes. Like, and you're asking for a title shot? What the hell are you doing? Regardless, she she acquiesced, and now we get the debut of Rampage in Pittsburgh. Britt Baker versus Red Velvet, and Britt beat up Red Velvet after uh, getting after a little shoving match, and then they just she beat up Red Velvet to get heat, and. Yeah, she's going to get a hometown ovation. It's going to be, honestly, I think the crowd is just going to be behind it just because, like, it's going to build up the match because it's her hometown and because it's Britt Baker. So I'm, I I feel like that's a good a good follow-up after the slightly underwhelming uh, first title defense. I think this will be significantly better. But JR, though, thoughts on this little in-ring uh, confrontation and what we're getting next week on Rampage? No, I mean, obviously, being in the hometown of Britt Brit Baker, the one thing I've said is that with Britt Baker, I feel like they're, because of how much she has improved as a heel, as far as, like, wrestling in AEW, because I just don't think, like, her being a babyface was working. But on a very grand comparison, she basically became the Stone Cold Steve Austin of like of if you're gonna say somebody that's comparable to Stone Cold Steve Austin in the sense of like somebody that was a heel that got over as a babyface, that's Britt Baker. Like people like love her and they're trying to like I think let her stay heel and that's just not gonna work because she's too cool and she's too badass as with her mic skills and her just natural charisma that people love her and to add to that she's going into pittsburgh aew dropped a new aew britsburg shirt for her so it's like how are you going to expect her to get any heat in her hometown when you're doing these velvet's a great superstar uh great wrestler excuse me i have really just grown to like her her abilities in the ring i think they would complement each other very well so I look forward to this, and it's obviously the whole thing is going to continue to spotlight Britt Baker as a um, as their AEW Women's Champion. All right, Floyd. Yeah, um, it's going to be impossible 
I mean, I I would almost flip it. I I think at some point Velvet's going to have to kind of play the heel in this match. Britt's not going to be a heel in Pittsburgh. I don't care what she does. She can come out and shoot Red Velvet and they cheer. Nope. It ain't happening. Yeah, so it's just like I think it's this is I I I truly believe Red Velvet should have been her first contender. It makes more sense. This is a good get to the next person contender. I love it. They're going to have, they're both, you know, around the same size, athletic, and it's just like the limitations that come in a match with Nyla, you are not going to get it with Red Velvet. Red Velvet, she she proves when she's put in a big spot, she can show up like she did with the Cody match against Shaq and Jay Cargill. Everybody who came out of that match like, man, I didn't know Red Velvet could do that. She's got that energy on the promo, that sass. I, I, I really enjoyed it. I just thought I was just really excited about that being the match. And all I could think is like, man, this should have been the first match. But she gets the big big spot on Rampage, so she gets even another chance to step up. Yeah, honestly. And regardless of the fact that she will get no heel reaction whatsoever, like, again, Red Velvet's not in a position where she's, like, will hurt consistently. Like, it'll hurt her considerably uh, from the reaction from the crowd. I think she'll be fine regardless because we haven't seen a ton of her. And, like, she will she could build back the momentum very easily if they continue to push her, if that's what they decide to do. And, like, honestly, I think Brit just needs a title defense with a lot of crowd response behind it to really just, like, keep that title reign going. Because it's still – people love Brit. But to make the title reign significant, I think having a defense with a hot crowd will save that for no like if 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 people are thinking it's not really picking up any steam, this will save it for them. We then had another backstage segment with Chavo Guerrero and Andrade El Idolo. Chavo brought Andrade Fuego. And he was like, Fuego, hey man, like we got a job for you. Like you're here. We need you to shine El Idolo's shoes. And he's like you did not promise me that. That is not what you told me. And they're like, you shine his fucking shoes. Andrade gets mad, attacks Fuego, rams him into like this, this, rams him into the wall, and then just proceed to yell like Lucha Bros. You don't come with us. This will happen to you. So easy way to get heat, attack Fuego. You bastards. Why would you do such a thing? So there's heel heat for you. They attacked Fuego, got a response. How dare they attack him and make him shine shoes? Those monsters. So, you guys got anything to say on this little segment? No, I'll just say, though, is that um, due to Floyd Johnson, who loves himself some Fuego del Sol, and every time I talk to him, he puts over Fuego, I'm becoming a a Fuego fan, and it drives me crazy because I'm literally not trying to buy merch, and he was doing <laughs> on high spot auctions. Uh, and he was selling like turnbuckle pads, auctions, and um, I, he had replica mask. And I was like, Floyd, stop talking about Fuego because I'm gonna start buying stuff, and I'm not trying to buy anything. We got tricks coming up. I, I dude, I, I I know this was last week, but man, could he take an ass whooping? Because when Malachi Black hit him with that black mask, oh my god, I was like, that is the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. That took it like a champ. He did. He really did. Um, what I have to say is Tony Khan, I don't know if this is fortunate for Fuego or unfortunate. He is getting TV time. He is on Dynamite. He's realized the secret button. You know how to make someone get hated? Beat up Fuego. 
Yeah, Fuego's everyone's best friend. No one <laughs> yes, wants to see Yes, no one wants Fuego to get hurt. He's on that level of untouchable right now. And it's like, you're in Jacksonville. And honestly, I don't think anybody's more over in Jacksonville than Fuego Del Sol. And yeah, that just like, if you were kind of like, oh, kind of like Andrade, maybe, maybe not. Yeah, he hit Fuego. He's the dick now. We hate him now. Uh, Fuego, Oklahoma's on Fuego Del Sol. I like to say that because, you know, that's where he started. Uh, but yeah, he is, um, I, I, it's just, he's like a heat magnet. He's just like, if you beat him up, you get heat. TK's figured that out. So you're going to see a, probably a lot of your bigger heels beating up Fuego Del Sol at some point. I thought the segment did what it was supposed to do. Maybe we get a Fuego versus Andrade match on Dynamite. Or maybe we get it on Darker Elevation. I think it's going to happen either one. But again, Fuego's wrestling, so that makes me happy. That makes me yeah. happy. As well. I was going to say to add, you know, if they want to go this route because... You know, at the end of the day, history always repeats itself in a very similar fashion, like ECW did with Mikey Whipwreck. They can keep doing this with Fago, and eventually Fago can mess around and become the first person to be the guy to be mirror for the TNT champion, and everybody would fucking pop. But that's what they did with you. He was getting his ass whooped every single time on ECW television, then somehow, some way, he ended up becoming like the ECW champion. Hey, Leon Ruff or. Leon Ruff on NXT. I was just saying another example. Or he could be uh, AEW's version of Cheeseburger. Yes. But I I love Fuego, man. And he's he's a really good worker. So I like them getting him matches. And as long as he's on TV, I'm happy for him. All right. We then had a small video package. Hey, everyone. America's top team, Dan Lambert's back. And he talked about how he got attacked by Lance Archer on that episode of Dynamite. And he's like, you know what? I haven't forgotten that. I will be back next week. Archer's going to have to pay up. And I will have backup with me. So I will leave this at this. Do we know or do we have any thoughts on who this backup will be? Um, I will say... First of all, Dan Labber, if for those of you who are not familiar with him, he did great work at Impact. He did some good yes. work with MLW. He is like, you know, people talk about like outsiders. He is a legitimate fan of professional wrestling. Oh, yeah. He has, I mean, so many uh, like original wrestling belts from the territory areas. He cuts a heel, he cuts a heel promo, like a throwback heel manager would, like in the essence of Bobby Heenan. Um would he he can get that what you need. As far as backup, man, like it's hard because I do know that he has King Mo Lawal, uh, former MMA light heavyweight champion in Strike Force, has wrestled in MLW, was actually just at Battle Riot, and was at one point was a part of Impact Wrestling. I know he's like they've done stuff with him in AKA in uh, AKA American Top Team, so it, it could be King Mo, but it's just kind of hard because I don't know if they're going to put him with like a new talent or an AW talent, or if it would be somebody like King Mo since he has that background, I'd say if they really want to get heat, they'll go get the uh, UFC number one contender, uh, Colby Covington, um, to come with Sam Labrador, come to AW. Or get Ronda Rousey. If you want to get heat, get Ronda Rousey since she just doesn't like wrestling fans. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to accept when you're not a draw. It, it really Boy! is. 
<laughs> it really is. I'm like, I'm like, and you can be on ESPN, but people weren't turning on the TV to see you, and it's hard for her to accept. And I, I get it. I get it. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just, it is what it is. It's just nobody. I mean, hey, there was a time Ronda Rousey was the most, the badass woman of the world, and she had never lost. And I think if she would have come in the WWE and then. Yes, I think she would have drew big numbers. But after she got mollywopped by Amanda Nunez, yeah, it was like, okay, you're not the baddest woman in the world anymore. What are we tuning in to see now? So I don't know. I had this thought when she joined the WWE. I just, I just didn't think it was going to make that big a difference. And it just seems like wrestling fans, they have, she's drunk the Kool-Aid that wrestling fans are the problem and not, not having entertainment, entertaining television. But I'm gonna get past this. I love Dan Levert. I saw his act in Impact, and I just think it's really great. He just has his natural punchable face, and yeah. then he has the uh, he has the cadence down of a heel, and he knows how to talk, and it it just works. It's like you could have seen him in MLW and seen him in Impact, and it still works in AEW because he is really good at this. So it's a traveling act. It works where it goes. I, I'm very excited to see who he brings with him. Any thoughts on who he will bring with him? See, I don't know. Like, I don't know because I've heard and I don't because he's in America's top team. And I don't know any of those people that are crossover. But I do. I've heard Kane Velasquez is thinking is getting back into pro wrestling. Yeah. And that would be pretty cool. Cain Velasquez making a jump from when he had a small stint in WWE to AEW. Interesting. He jobbed the he jobbed the Brock Lesnar. <laughs> like that's he, job, he jobbed Brock Lesnar. Could have got a big check to job the Brock Lesnar and bounced. All right. <laughs> and maybe he'll he won't do that here. Who knows? But I have no idea, honestly. And I I give I gave him uh, crap, but Dan Lambert knows what the hell he's doing. Uh, I just gave him crap just because like his promo like. People were just like, why the fuck is this dude here? And it was just funny to me. But anyway, we then had an interview with Hangman Adam Page in the ring, getting interrupted very quickly by the Elite. And Hangman was like, Matt, Nick, I've needed to say something to you for a while. Kenny Omega is like, oh, you're trying to you're trying to make new friends. You're trying to take my title. And are you trying to rejoin the Elite? And Hangman goes, that is the last thing I'm trying to do. And... Kenny goes on and on being like, we've thought about forgiving you. We've thought about getting past it. But like, here's the thing. At the end of the day, you don't fit here because no matter what, even if you're a cowboy, the elite has no room for losers. Kind of odd how Brandon Cutler's there, but I get it, young boy. Uh, And it's their little like, oh, hey, forget it. He's not actually in the elite. But regardless, he gets under Hangman's skin. Hangman slaps Kenny Omega the Elite then gangs up on him and hits uh, Hangman with the, uh, well, Gals and Anderson hit him with the Magic Killer. The Dark Order comes out to save him as they normally do. Evil Uno and Grayson was like, no, we told him we wouldn't get in the middle of his thing. We're not going to get in the middle of his thing. So they just beat the living shit out of uh, Hangman. Even Frankie Kazarian, the Elite Hunter, comes to try to stop it, and uh, he's still outnumbered. And the AEW World title slammed right in the head of hangman kenny screaming this is the closest you will ever get 
So big heel heat for the elite as they continue to just beat up on Hangman and Dark Order now kind of just thanks to Eva Luno and Grayson. They're like, he told us not to help him. We will not help him. And they're 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 sticking to their guns on that. So it's it's Hangman seeming like he's got to go kind of like again on another like hero's journey just to get back to where he wanted to be. And it seemed like while we thought we were getting closer to where we were eventually going to pay off to, which was Hangman being AEW world champion because of uh, extenuating circumstances, we have to wait. So Hangman's going to get a little bit more time to like work his way back up to that and like really kind of find himself some more, which if we get more in depth, like mental uh, insight to hangman honestly i think that would be worth the wait still because i think the best part about hangman is just like how much of a toll mentally his mind has gone on being just never being able to clinch what he wants having chances but not being able to get it so i think this gives AEW a lot of opportunities to just really kind of dive into Ken, uh, hangman's mental more so i hope they do that honestly but Jr., do you got any thoughts on this little segment? Um, it, I'm just gonna be honest, and this is a, one man's opinion. I don't like what they did, and I get it. Like I understand. Like I heard of all like the the arguments of why they did what they did, and potentially pulled it back. You know, if they were gonna go with Hangman versus, you know, Kenny, maybe at all out, and why they're not doing that, they're going a different direction. I honestly think, in my estimation. This is not what they did isn't good and potentially could have affect Hangman neg- negatively in the future to where, and I'll put it this way, if the rumors are true, don't you, I feel, especially after this week, people are going to want to see, I want to see Kenny Omega versus Malachi Black for the AEW Championship. I want to see Kenny Omega versus Daniel Bryan for the AEW Championship. I want to see Kenny Omega versus CM Punk for the AEW Championship. When does Hangman get his shot at redemption against Hangman? Because, excuse me, when does Hangman get his shot at redemption against Kenny Omega? And you essentially, you know, he had his shot at All Out 2019. He lost it. He had his number one contender match at Full Gear. He lost it. Like, he had this shot, and he lost it. He's, like, almost, if you combine these, like, 0-3 in championship opportunities, and as AEW continues to grow the roster with bigger stars... I just feel like that time is never going to come for Hangman. And now that you didn't pull the trigger again, I think like people, especially with bigger names, are going to be ready to move on. Now, AW's audience is very unique and different than any other wrestling audience that I've ever you know, been around. So maybe they don't. I just don't like what they did. I just feel like you completely killed them. Um, you know, if it was for personal reasons, because I've heard that narrative as well, like I get why you're doing that because he wants time off. But I just think the whole game to this point, they should have just moved forward with it. And if he wasn't going to even, you know, if it, that wasn't even the point was to get him a championship opportunity because he was going to leave for personal reasons, then they completely bumbled everything from the beginning on this. The one thing I've said consistently for a long time was I felt that the AW championship, you know, what they've done with it as far as the storylines around that, whether it was, you know, Jericho versus Hangman in the beginning, uh, Jericho versus Cody, Jericho versus Boxley, up until, you know, with Kenny Megan, but I feel like that they've been consistent. They've done a great job executing storylines. This one, I just think has been a complete, complete failure, and I don't like it. I, I just think that it's going to end up not working out in the long run, but only time will tell. 
Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, me, me and JR have had this exact conversation offline, and I just think it comes from a general lack of, you know, patience in, in people younger than me. Uh, it's just... Two years! <laughs> I mean, it, it's just a lack of patience. I'm like, I think Hangman has the most relatable storyline ever. As a person that has struggled with weight his whole life and has tried to lose weight and failed and tried to lose weight and failed and tried to lose weight and failed. Do you know what I identify more with in this storyline than anything? Someone that keeps trying and coming up short. Hangman, it's like he has to win the title now. I need him to win the title. I'm begging for him to win the title. And the thing is, you have you have after September 1st or September 5th at, uh, at All Out, you then have October... Then you have full gear. Then you have December. It's like not. It's wrestling's not gonna stop because he didn't get this one title shot. Let's just say we get Kenny Omega and Punk, Kenny Omega and Bryanson, Brian Brian uh, Danielson. You're going to need another match. You know, it, it's it's not like the story's gonna end with Kenny Omega. You're gonna need more wrestling. This is this is a long haul situation. Hangman's only, I think he just turned 30 or 29. So he's still young, you know. He can wait and get it and then have a significant title reign where he beats everybody or something like that. There's just a long time to go. So I'm never going to say they killed Hangman because, I mean, honestly, he never, you know, even in the thing, it ended up three on one and he lost, you know, three on one to literally the world champion and the tag team champions. It was a loss, but it was acceptable loss. And uh, they showed something. Someone broke down the screenshot is when Hangman stumbled in and sits his beer down. He actually, you know, you know, leaves a disc on the table. So I think for the people not paying attention, that's a little you know, a little Easter egg for what might happen in the future. Evil Uno and Stu knew what he wanted and they stuck to the plan. So it can be a bigger thing. And I just think I, I just saw it with Naito. I did. I just saw it with Naito in New Japan. He, he lost. He kept getting close and he kept losing. And then he became the double champion at one night. And it was just an amazing moment for, uh, New Japan. And no one's like, man, that took too long. Everybody's like, man, that was perfect. Gato did a great job just waiting and waiting. He made us need it. And that's what they're doing with Hangman. So. And I think also, too, if I'll just kind of put up uh, another point on this before we move on, um, I think the anger would be more so more fear. People would be more angry, I think, as opposed to like Hangman not getting his shot right now against Kenny Omega for the world title. I think they'd be more angry if he got the championship, but then got overshadowed and then lost the title to an incoming either CM Punk or Daniel Bryan or another guy they recently brought in, that would piss people off so much more. And I think they knew that when they bring these guys in, they can't not be around the world title picture because of who they are and how big of a draw they are. And they didn't want to hurt Hangman's stock by having him be the champion that has to lose it. To be frank, 
Kenny Omega is considered to be the greatest wrestler of all time. And him losing the title against either of these people, whether or not that's what they decide to do, and that's why they decided to switch gears, that is not going to cause Kenny Omega's stock to fall because Kenny Omega has been doing some some of the best heel work he's done in a very long time, and he's still considered the best wrestler in the world. He lost to Okada multiple times, and people still didn't care. So him losing to a guy like Daniel Bryan or CM Punk will not hurt Kenny Omega. So I think they realize the pros of having Hangman wait for his shot much way outweigh the pros of him getting the title but then losing it to incoming talent. So that's what I would put towards as my two cents on this on the uh, on the thing. This is why I told Floyd because uh, due to uh, some family obligations, I wasn't here last week. I said if we if we had this conversation last week, the show would be four hours and be me going back and forth with Floyd about this <laughs> because it literally because he because he said that you know because he always tells you patience. I'm like it's been two years, two years since he lost his first opportunity. I think that's been enough patience. I said. But Number again, Hangman two, wasn't crazy over back then, though. Uh, well, I, I mean, the whole thing was the story's been building up for two years. Yeah. Let's go and for so three. No. Well, I'm just saying, you know, I'm going to, if I give, I'll give you, you know, you say Naito. The one thing I'll say, Naito was already champion in 2016. So it's a little bit different comparison. But the one I'll give a comparison, though, is, and this is even a shorter time frame than two years, and you got to go way back into 1993, was... Lex Luger came to WWF and he was and they turned him babyface and he was gonna be like their next Hogan. He was gonna be Yokozuna, and they're like, Well, we don't think the timing's ready for it. So they didn't pull the trigger. Then they end up saying, Well, you know what? Bret Hart got hot again, so we're gonna put the belt on Bret Hart instead of Lex Luger. And then eventually, like, well, you know what? We like we like Diesel because Diesel's getting over as being, you know, big daddy cool, so we're gonna put the belt on him. And eventual and whether you can say it's my generation or not that's fine but it's still going to hold true is that people may say and i'm not saying that they killed they killed hangman because they did everything to to essentially show that you know it took 18 people to murder him on that dynamite but if you if you get to a situation where somebody doesn't overcome the struggles after a certain period of time and then as you bring in new talent people are going to move on to the next the next flavor of the month if you will and especially with the names like Daniel Bryan and uh, CM Punk, I think there's going to be that call that people are going to say, hey, maybe they should get an opportunity. Because and the reason I say that is the the rumor was like, well, not right now, but maybe a full gear because it's Hangman's pay-per-view. Okay, well, it's like you don't think people are going to be calling to see CM Punk versus Kenny Omega for the AEW World Championship instead? Yeah, there's gonna be and CM, Punk can, CM Punk can lose. And I mean... That's fine, but and, and then, then you go to the next guy, and then they can but, lose, and then you go to the next again, guy. When do you go to that situation though, where it's like, okay, when are you going to pull the trigger on Hangman before you get to a point where other people are getting built up and people have already got tired of Hangman because he because <laughs> he has not gotten over. See, and that's the whole thing. People are not going to get tired of Hangman because he's the Hangman. He's the biggest. They have made him like really one of the biggest stars in AEW. He is so over. When that music hits, oh my God, cowboy shit. When he takes this time off and he comes back, oh my God, I would love to be in that crowd when that happens. Yeah, you're right. It sounds like they should have made him champion all out. I agree with you. 
Okay. No, no. To prevent, to prevent this from going on and again, like taking over the entire show because we've only got two matches left. Let's move. Let's quickly move to the TNT title match where we have God's favorite champion, the Redeemer Miro versus Big Shoddy Lee Johnson of the Nightmare Family. This is a really good match. Great TNT match. Miro again looks like a monster. Lee Johnson got some really good spots in there and had multiple opportunities where it looked like he, uh, Gave Miro a little bit more than he was expecting. Uh, Miro's title reign with the TNT title has been godly. It's been great. I've loved how much Miro's just like completely just reshaped the title and really made it his own. Um, all the way down to like having the title just be completely look different. Um, yeah, this is another great title defense. I have nothing bad to say about this. Um, Lee Johnson, I think, is great. Um, I, th- I think I will post this to uh, a, a question to you guys since um, this conversation did get brought up uh, recently online about AEW's uh, top talent uh, not being diverse enough since we had Lee Johnson in this match um, because they there was a lot of conversations of how like the top people in AEW are all white people. So I, I, I want, and I know Floyd actually pointed this out, was like... Um, well, uh, well, actually, I saw uh, not Floyd, but um, uh, wrestling with regret point this out as well and be like, this is a fair point. So I, I guess I'll toss this to you guys since um, the match itself, I think, was strong and didn't really have anything else nearly much to talk about. But do you guys think that AEW has shown itself like at least in their their high key, high marquee talent that they're not diverse enough? Because we have, of course, we've got people like Sonny Kiss and Nyla Rose and, of course, uh, Jade Cargill as well in terms of uh, African-American t- talent. And there's Lee Johnson, Scorpio Sky. There is like talent on the roster. But if you look towards the top of the division, mostly white people. Do you guys have any thoughts on that uh, conversation? I'll let you start, Floyd. Okay. Uh, I do have thoughts. I think, um, unfortunately for AEW... It's timing and luck has had a lot to do with this. Um, They started and a lot of the big named because let's call this call it what it is. This is not a diversity issue. This is a black person issue. They're saying the guy was saying there's not enough black people. It's not diversity. Because they have the Lucha Bros. Sammy Guevara and uh, Sammy Guevara and Proud and Powerful are always involved in something big. They're part of the greatest faction in in the inner circle in AEW history. They've got nothing but TV time, right? So you're looking at it. Andrade's built as a star, and he's brought in with Chavo. Vicky Guerrero, Nyla Rose, Jay Cargill's undefeated and is treated like the biggest star. I could go on. Private Party beat uh, beat Young Bucks in. I could go on and on. But this is about black singles wrestlers. Unfortunately, there was in the time of AEW, and this is not me being apologized because I've been saying this since the beginning. There was no black Adam Page. Right? People that could fill that role. Swerve Scott. Right? Maybe Cedric Alexander, maybe Keith Lee, 
You know, I'm going through the list. They all have something in common. They were already signed to the WWE. So you can't make this invisible person that, you know, you, there's just not over, there's just not these over talented black men just sitting out there, just waiting to be pushed. None of these people were household names. Now I'm not saying that there is no talented black man out there. I imagine there's a lot in the indies, but I'm talking about on the level of already being over. They, it, it just wasn't there. So when I also when I look at this, they did try to sign Leo Rush. That would have been a significant African American signing. You know, a significant single star. That didn't work out. It's like. They've had extremely bad luck with the talent available. And Scorpio Sky, he has main evented uh, AEW uh, match with Chris Jericho, and he was part of the first tag team champions ever. I just, like I said, I'm I'm a big on patience. How many times do I say, how much have I said, I said this about the women's division, I said this, equality, equality, in my opinion, is just not forcing something down. It's letting them naturally grow and become superstars on their own and then getting them in there. When somebody becomes available, I mean, we got Will Hobbs in the pipeline. Lee Johnson just had a great match with Miro. Uh, Scorpio Sky is one of those people you can kind of turn him on and off at any time. It's coming. You just got to wait. It's just everybody wants everything right now. And it's just you don't get everything right now. It's not how it works. Okay. Just figured that was a conversation to have um, since that that was thrown out there. JR, do you got anything to say on Floyd's after Floyd's point? Um, you know the thing I'm I work in a program that that deals specifically with diversity and inclusiveness. I've sat on committees about diversity and inclusiveness. Um, met with you know met with you know students who are hispanic and african-american and, and lgbtq um i i one thing that i've noticed is i think there's a, people have a lot of different definitions of what's diverse and what's inclusive um one of the things i have and i actually have it on my twitter page is that if you it says diversity is being invited to the party inclusion is actually being asked to dance and there's another like uh like a picture that's like diversity is like puzzle pieces but inclusion is actually being part of the being part of the actual puzzle. And the, the thing about AEW, I will say to kind of, in some ways, they kind of, they opened up like this, you know, proverbial Pandora's box because of how the company started and the rhetoric they were using about, you know, we're going to be a diverse company and the signings they were doing. And then they started and Floyd's right, you know, private party got over and Lucha Bros got over and Pride and Powerful got over and Scorpio Sky was the first tag team, was the first one, the tag team champion. And you saw, um, you know, women being featured, especially women of color, whether it was Rio or Nyla Rose or Sheeta. And then what happened? A global pandemic and everything like hit a standstill. And you had situations like, and the perfect one would be like uh, Lucha Bros. Pentagon couldn't travel and Phoenix got hurt. Um, and you had travel issues for a lot of people. And then there were some times where people weren't featured because of, for a variety of reasons, um, whether it was, you know, I think like after the pandemic hit, I feel like it was a while when we didn't see Pride and Powerful and all of a sudden we saw them again. 
And some people will say, like, well, you know, it's great seeing Pirate and Powerful part of Inner Circle, but they seem as Jericho lackeys. So what we're seeing is we're seeing two minorities being, you know, the lackeys for a white man. It's a, it's a more complicated discussion to have at a different time that would take up way much, you know, a lot of the time to have the discussion. And you would have a lot of different people would have different sets of opinions. The one thing I will say, though, is that I felt like since Double or Nothing and what they've done with Andrade and what they've, you know, in some of the women matches, giving them, you know, more time, they've done a, I think they've done a great job. And, you know, since then, you know, featuring, you know, my, you know, people of color um, and women in a big spotlight. So I think only, I think only as more time comes and as things are, you know, back to, you know, sense of normalcy, we'll see more of that. I think the other thing though, at the same time that people have that comparison, they're comparing it to the other company. And I think at one point, I think every single WWE champion was like a person of color. So the first thing is like, well, why, why are you AW said this when you opened, but look at what WWE did. They actually did it. So like I said, it's a more complicated answer for, I think for a discussion at a later time, um, that it just would take up a, a lot of time and you'd have a lot of different people who'd have a difference, uh, difference of opinions. So okay. I'll leave it at that. Yeah. And I think that's the big thing is just, it's, it's a different difference of circumstances, I would say, but we'll move quickly on. We've got two, uh, quick things that we got to talk about. Uh, Backstage interview with Christian Cage, basically announcing he was the number one contender for the title, saying um, he's he's been he's been here to cement his legacy, win championships, and he's been doing feeling good, but he's uh, feeling a lot better than good. He's feeling elite. Nice little nod there to put towards what he's doing. Then we had the NWA Women's Championship Eliminator match between the Bunny and Legit Layla Hirsch. The winner would get a shot at. Camille's NWA Women's Championship on an episode of, I would assume, NWA Power, maybe another uh, NWA show. Regardless, it would be in the NWA. Uh, this was actually really strong. We haven't seen a ton of Layla Hirsch recently. Uh, she had, um, she had um, uh, best friends in her corner, and of course, like she was there earlier in the match to keep Bunny from interfering with uh, Christian's match. And Christian was going to go out and help, but. She said um, she had best friends already backing him up, so didn't need to do that. Uh, this was a nice little uh, uh, match to build up for the NWA Women's Championship, uh, which I do like that is still being featured on AEW. Uh, they also had cuts to Nyla Rose and Chris Statlander, uh, who would then get face-to-face during the match outside of the ring. Basically, uh, the smallest way to lead into, like, oh, by the way, here's our women's match that's happening next week. Um it's kind of eh, honestly, though I am excited for the match. Um, and I honestly thought the Bunny was going to be the person to win this match just because she's been consistently used. was not the case. Layla Hirsch got the win, which honestly probably makes some more sense since they were building up her win record on AEW Dark and such uh, for this moment. Um, and the, just the shot of Camille and Layla just with the size differential like perfect story just just looking at that shot right there of of her holding the title over her so i that's that should be really good um i again i'm very happy that the nwa is continuing to do stuff with uh, AEW and with the women's championship um 
always still wonder if the if the men's title will ever show up on Dynamite, but regardless, that's always something we always throw around. But this was this was fun enough, a nice little like match uh, with f- future implications before we got into the main event. Uh, Jerry, you got anything to say on this match? Um, I'm a big fan of Layla Hirsch because she has a grappling background like I do, and I've had a chance to talk to her, and I told her how much I loved her in a virtual. Uh, virtual meet and greet. Uh, I can't wait to hopefully meet her in person, but good Lord, that height differential was insane. I'm a big fan of Camille too. I just think Camille's money and I would love to see her more in AEW. And the match itself is going to happen in two weeks, excuse me, three weeks from tonight at the first ever NWA all women's pay-per-view in power. Uh, They're essentially creating like a, you know, as big of a stack, NWA women's pay-per-view as they can with, uh, it'd be Camille versus Layla Hirsch for the NWA world's women's champion. Diana Peraza will defend her impact knockouts championship against, uh, Molina and they'll have uh, Chelsea green will also be on the card. And then there, um, just as of right now, there'll be a lot of other people, a lot of other women as well. Um, but yeah, that it, that should be a good card. You know, I'm really, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm, fo- I love this match because I love both of both these uh, women. I think they're amazing talent and uh, look forward to that. All right, Floyd. All right. Um, when I watched this match, it was weird because it was a good match, but I saw like the worst moonsault botch ever that I've seen in my life. When Layla did the springboard bouncy moonsault and I know Bunny was supposed to move. But where she landed, the moonsault was nowhere near where the bunny was. Did you, did you did y'all catch that? Or am I? I mean, yeah, but it seemed like I I didn't know where Bunny was laying like prior to. Oh uh, yeah, she spot. she didn't have to move because Layla was nowhere near. I thought that was funny personally. Thought the match ended up well. Then the Camille standing next to Layla thing. You saw a bunch of memes and pictures online. Uh, it's uh, one's a pretty famous meme from a scene from a a movie. And I thought it was pretty funny, but that's going to be a fun match because it's definitely going to be like David and Goliath type situation. But since uh, Layla is such a good match, Matt wrestler, I think, you know, she can use that to neutralize it. But I thought the match was good. thought the bunny was good. And uh, just thought, yeah, I thought the match in general did what he needs to do and set up an NWA match. And I love the fact that, you know, it's not a one way street. You know, NWA champion was on AEW promoting their title against the AEW wrestler, which is going to be on an NWA show. You know, AEW showing that they're a partner. They're just not using people to get their people over. Exactly. Yeah. But then was the main event. And again, Floyd said how this episode of Dynamite really felt like kind of another uh, one match show. But what a match it was. Yeah, that was this. The American Nightmare, Cody Rhodes versus Malachi Black. Yeah, Malachi Black fucking came in, made a statement. He he pulled, he made the whole Brody Lee statement by just beating up Cody Rhodes and hitting that black mass, putting one foot on Cody's chest and winning the match. It happened so fast that like it he literally nailed the kick. Commentators were like, Oh, what a kick. And then he just pinned him and was like, Oh my god, like like you're gonna look back at this and see how quickly like just 
Cody just went numb and hit the ground. Uh, and the whole idea was like he was working the leg, working the leg, and then all of a sudden one kick he's out. Like just he was working on one body part so much that Cody was not expecting a black mass to the face. And yeah, Malachi Black immediately making a statement. And then Tony Schiavone goes to interview Cody in the ring. And Cody cuts this massive promo, pretty much close to on one knee with his injury, talking about how his legacy and how legacy itself is a funny thing, about how he got into wrestling when he was a referee. And he his whole dr- goal was just to get the title back, get his dad's title back, and then how his goals changed. He didn't know what was going to happen with his career. Made the line, he's like, I wasn't fired... They didn't fire me. I fired them. The whole line, which was kind of funny. Uh, talked about meeting Matt and Nick and now how people like it was funny, too, because I could hear the crowd very much trying to like uh, boo Cody. And I heard na 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 chances. They thought Cody was leaving. But Cody, like, I'll give you I'll tell you this, people like Cody knows how to make a crowd like move along with him because he quickly worked him back in being like. People were laughing at us three years ago when we said this was going to be a revolution. We were going to have our own wrestling company. And now, this is Destination Viewing. It's no longer an alternative. This is competition. And crowd immediately on Cody's side, all the way for him, talking about how we set the table. Now it's probably time for new people to eat. My face has been on everything for three years. I've carried the banner. Uh, But... He says this, he thanks the fans, and then he starts taking off his boots, and the crowd just like, no, like, what is, like, they, the idea of Cody retiring was just, no. And as Cody put his rings in the center of the of the ring, Malachi Black then quickly takes the crutch that was used to help Cody stand up, and slams Cody in the back of the, he- in the, back of the head, and just in the back of that, and Malachi Black smiling over Cody and then the the commentator shouting did Malachi Black just retire Cody and that's how the show went off the air so I'm gonna save I'm gonna save Floyd for this I want to go to JR first and then we'll get to Floyd because I know Floyd's just itching for this but JR thoughts on this final match this main event and what we saw after the a few things Malachi had such a great look. Look, his entrance was phenomenal. Just the way everything from the lighting, the music, the, the you know, like the screen package, they did such a great job with it. Shout out to their production staff and whoever had played a part in that because they did a great job. Uh, Malachi's, you know, his look, his face, his mask he had was amazing. Um, I think you're really getting an opportunity to see what he can do now that he has that creative freedom. I've seen some of his work prior to WWE when he was uh, over across the pond with uh, ICW, and he's just very creative. One of the questions, I actually had talked to Floyd off the air, and I said, man, I don't remember him being so fluid. And it was like he never had he never moved that way in WWE for whatever reason, whether they didn't want him to, or he wrestled a different style, but he just, you know, whether it was kicks, his transitions, like he, he reminded me of somebody who was like a grappler, like a Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, uh, judo grappler in MMA, where they just have these natural transitions for being such, um, 
highly skilled and he and he has great flexibility uh he's it made me i always felt he was a good wrestler but even in this match was essentially a squash of cody i just like he's a amazing great wrestler and eventually he's gonna have some matches where people are gonna see how great he he actually is um i you know to get him over i mean how else do you get somebody over what better way to than squash the face of aw uh the american nightmare cody Rhodes. as far as the extracurricular activities that occurred after the match um i will say uh in my opinion, I thought it was a little bit much. It seemed like extra. I'm not saying that they should have done something like that to eventually potentially set up like a, a future match. I just thought they did a lot more than they needed to because if you did everything, like, you know, he beats Cody, Cody gets tries to get up, and Malachi comes out and knocks him out with another black mask, you would have the same result. And I just, I feel like it just wasn't necessary, but I'm not one of those people. I swear, I feel like Cody wakes up and he has heat, like, he wakes up and the fucking his toothbrush is already mad at him for some reason. The dude just he attracts he like, you know, like there's no tomorrow. Um, and so I'm not like some of these people online saying he made it about himself and all that. I just think that I just think they did a little bit too much and that's it. Like it's not gonna ruin it. The one thing I will say though, and this is some of the things that I have a different opinion from other people, and I'll give a comparison to John Cena. So he beat Malachi Black. Excuse me, Malachi Black destroyed Cody. If they set up a potential future match, if Cody wins, in my opinion, it kind of takes away from this squash this, to put Malachi on the map. Because essentially, it'd be you won the battle, but you lost the war. If what the last thing people remember that Cody beats Malachi, it would potentially take away some of that. Um, and the comparison I say John Cena is that's what some people felt when. Kevin Owens beat him, and then he came back and went 2-1 on Kevin Owens. Rusev, he went 2-1 on Rusev, and then Bray Wyatt, he went 2-1 on, on Bray Wyatt. My timings are off because he went Bray Wyatt first, and then he went to uh, Rusev, then Kevin Owens. But that's how some people look at it, is that he eventually won the war, even though he lost the battle. So I don't know what the end game is, um, but at this moment, I just, I do think that this was the right move as far as putting black on the map for this new audience. Okay. This match was what I said it needed to be last week. And, and I, and I truly mean that, uh, it was what it needed to be. I, I saw some people really getting into the beginning of it. And I was in the, the movement and them playing off on each other. And, uh, Alistair Black just being one step ahead of Cody, and and that's how it was. And even more important, he was trying to force himself up to the top ropes. He tried like three times before he got up to the top ropes. And he, Cody usually doesn't, you know, telegraph himself like that. And when he got up to the top ropes, I believe it was the second or third time, finally Alistair Black, you know. I mean, or excuse me, Malachi Black knocked him off the top ropes and threw the table. And the match was over at that point because Cody just went from the top ropes through a table. Again, I love that they're they're making table spots and chairs and things like that matter. This mattered. He fell through the table, 
he wasn't coming back up again. Uh, Malachi gets him in the ring, kind of plays with his food for a second, and then kicks him in the face and then just covers him with one foot. I don't know how anyone could say, let's say Cody comes back and they do a 20-minute match, 25-minute match, and Cody beats him, rolls him up, whatever he, however he beats him. I don't know how that would erase the image of Al- uh, Malachi Black pinning Cody with one foot. I just don't know. He he was made in that moment. That moment made him. He is a contender. I think he needs to start picking up a wins on dark and dark elevation to pad his stats, but he's everything he needs to be right now. And then the whole Cody uh, interview thing, I think the match might have ended a little quick. That was my thought when it was happening. It seemed like Cody was kind of playing for time until it was time for Alistair to attack him. So he added a whole bunch in there that shouldn't have been in there. But I think the match ended quickly, and that's why it happened. I might be wrong. That might have been the whole statement, everything he was saying. But it did feel like he was rambling at points. So uh, then then Malachi Black's like, nope, you're not taking my moment away by retiring. And then he knocks him out. And that completely like, yep, I was gone, but you attacked me. Now that pulled me back in because I believe the retirement thing had to happen. The retirement thing had to happen for Malachi Black to show how vicious he is. And then and to take Cody's moment away and Cody will have to find his motivation again whenever they end up doing that match. I thought this was brilliantly done. Uh, yeah, I I never in my life want to hear Cody versus Jeff Jarrett or Cody versus Triple H comparison ever again. Show me the match. Show me the match where either one of them did this for anybody. Show me that. And, they, and Cody's done it twice. He's done it for Alistair or Malachi. I keep saying Alistair. Sorry about that. But one of for Malachi, and then he did it for Brody Lee. Two completely dominating, no offense basically from him matches. No one does this. No one. He, AEW comes first. This shows that he even says AEW comes first. People are like, why didn't he lose to a go-go or more often? If you keep losing big matches, moments like this with Malachi Black can't happen. It's, oh, he just lost again. Him winning all the time leads to this moment. So, Malachi Black, when they do the Malachi Cody match, when they run it back, which you know they will, this is pro wrestling, it's just going to have so much more stake. You know, maybe Cody kicks out of the Black Mass this time, which I don't think anyone should ever kick out of the Black Mass personally. Such a cool move. Such a cool move. But maybe he learns how to avoid to get it in or something, whatever he does, whatever story they tell, it's going to be epic because Cody got laid down. That's my thoughts. There you go. From the Cody man himself. 
And I got nothing else to add to that. Hell of a moment. Malachi Black is made. Like, he's so over right now. The entrance was incredible. His presentation's great. I'm so happy to see him in AEW. Cody may be going away for a little bit. I know, of course, we've got the reality show coming up on the horizon. I think it would be smart for him to go away for a little bit. Um, But, uh, yeah. This episode of Dynamite, Dynamite Homecoming in Daly's Place, really felt like a one-match show. What a match it was, though. Another star has been made in AEW right then and there. Uh, some other cool moments in the show. Nothing really too major. I think we can quickly move on to our preview for next week's Dynamite. And then we'll wrap up the show since we went a little long. Uh, the preview so far for next week, we get the Evil Uno, Stu Grayson tag team matches. They take on the Good Brothers for their Impact Tag Team Championships. Christian Cage will be there, and he will be speaking on matters, I'm sure, relating to Kenny Omega and the AEW World Championship. Fourth stage of Jericho's uh, labors, where he takes on Wardlow and MJF, seemingly will be the referee. Maybe they didn't get that across properly, but so far that seems like what they're going with. Nyla Rose will take on Chris Statlander in singles competition. Darby Allen will face da- Daniel Garcia, who will be making another appearance in singles app, uh, competition. And then we will have Chuck T, Yuta, and Orange Cassidy face off against Private Party and Matt Hardy. And those were the matches announced. Uh, do you guys got anything you got to say on the matches announced uh, before we move on to our final news and notes? I'm very excited about Dan- Darby Allen versus Daniel Garcia. I think this is a solid show. But this is like the ceiling on this show is like a B plus. This is not going to be five star A plus show. But, you know, if every match does what it's supposed to do, it's a solid, you know, solid B plus show. That's what you need. You're going to need shows like this. Not every show can have a super marquee match. JR, anything you um, got to say? I, I agree with Floyd's sentiments. Uh, I, it's... But, it's a good solid card. Um, you know, I'm looking forward to. I, I like what they're doing with uh, with Daniel Garcia. Another one, another name is like with the Willer Yuta. I like what they've done with these guys. These young guys bringing them up in these, you know, along the way. They're good talents, and uh, I look forward to seeing them on uh, future Dynamites. All right. Well, we'll quickly move on to our lasting uh, news and headlines that we have before we wrap up the show. Floyd, can you go down our uh, our list here? All right. This is going to be real quick. First of all, we're recording on Saturday, August 7th. I mean, I think it's August 8th where uh, where Austin is now. Yes, but it is past midnight. Happy birthday, Chris Statlander. I don't know how old she turned, but happy birthday to her today. Uh, then we move on to the sad moment. Uh, this week, uh, we lost uh, tag team wrestling expert and legend, beautiful Bobby Eaton. Uh, if you go to at Floyd Johnson Jr. and you look at the day, I, I put my tribute up to him. Uh, Cash and Dax from FTR both put their tributes. There was tributes coming in from everywhere. Uh, me personally, I am, I've been a tag team wrestling fan since I was born. I've always been about team. Me and my brother were, you know, he was older than me, but we were a tag team. That's all we'd ever, you know, talked about was that was tag team wrestling. Our first tag teams were the Rock and Roll Express and the Midnight Express. So when I say Bobby Eaton is one of the reasons I'm a professional wrestling fan, I don't say that lightly. Uh, I generally, when older people pass away, I don't really feel a lot. I'm just like, okay, old people die. That's what they do. I know that's critical, but that's how I am. 
this one hit me. I thought about it a lot. I posted so much more than when anyone because he was a building block of my childhood. His career started in like 79. I was born in 81. So his career and my life kind of developed at the same time. So, yeah, uh, RIP Bobby, uh, Bobby Eaton. Did you have anything to say about it, JR? I know you're as big into tag team wrestling as I am. It's, you know, it's tough. And even like if you go even um, a little bit more personal, his uh, Bobby Eaton lost his wife about a month ago. So it's been a tough, tough summer for that family. Um, his wife, a lot of people may not know, is the daughter of, of uh, su- Superstar Bill Dundee. And I've been wrestling through and through in that family. So my heart goes out to them. Um, I had a similar situation where a friend of mine lost their, lost both parents in, within a month's time earlier this spring. And um, it's just my heart goes out to them because that's just so hard to lose both the mother and the father in such a short time frame. All right. Hey, yeah, I'm like Bobby was after you. It was way he was retired, like I think a few years before you were born, sir. So yeah, yeah. So yeah, his career. I, I, I unfortunately don't have much to say about but, that. But I, I have will, a lot to say about our last thing, though. Yes. So, uh, but I will say, Austin, like uh, Dax put up a clip, some clips of Bobby Eaton. I'm just saying, he was so fluid, and you got to think about the time he was wrestling in. It, 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 you now it, it's old hat, but when he was doing it, it was twenty something years before people oh, yeah. his size were moving like him. So, but the last thing is the big thing, and if you are only here for AEW talk, I invite you to go ahead and press stop because we are about to talk about the massive WWE releases, and I just just letting you know the AEW segment of this show is kind of over. So. Um, WWE during SmackDown last night, August 6th, uh, Sean Ross Stapp started reporting the names. It started with the big name, Bronson Reed, released from the WWE. Then it came through on Bobby Fish, Jake Atlas, Ari Starling. This is not in order. This is just how we have their nights typed out. Kona Reeves, Leon Ruff, Stefan Smith, the referee, Tyler Rust, Zechariah Smith, Asher Hale, Giant Zangier, Mercedes Martinez. I am going to let you two comment first. We'll start with JR. What did you think about the mass exodus of releases from the WWE? I'll try to say this real quickly, man. I had such a great day yesterday because I was off the internet. I I went to the chiropractor, got my back cracked, took my wife to go get coffee. We saw uh, Floyd's favorite wrestler, The Rock uh, movie, Jungle Cruise. Went to see my parents. I took my grandmother out to, to for a drink. And then all of a sudden, I decided, let me get off social media. And I and I kept reading, like, this is a bloodbath. And this is the death of a, a death of a brand. And I DM Floyd, like, what is this? As I was leaving my parents' house, I get home about 20 minutes later. And, and I see it. And Floyd's like, look at my tweet. And I, and I pull it up. And I'm like, you know, this mass, you know, this mass, you know, cut. And... I'm just, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm a little bit cynical, a little bit more cynical than most people. I've been jaded my whole, my whole, you know, basically since I was a teenager. While I will say that I never want to see anybody without a job um, because nobody deserves to be without a paycheck. I mean, 
I, I hate saying that, that line, but it, it's business. I mean, I work in the nonprofit sector and we always have issues of people getting, you know, people feel like they, we don't have enough, you know, enough staff or people getting laid off when they shouldn't get laid off or, um, you go into the business sector, you go into pro sports and so on and so forth. Like this happens all the time. And I think it was said recently, I can't remember who brought it up, like WWE has over 200 contracted wrestlers, um, on their, you know, as far as a roster, they have such a plethora of talent, um, that if they're going to do, and I know that, you know, the term is budget cuts because, that's what's being said um, by talent who's been released that they were told that it was due to budget cuts and everybody looks at, well, you know, they have all this money. Yeah, it's true. But a lot of companies have a lot of money and they always look at cutting their overhead down to maximize profits. I don't know why they're doing that. Um, I also don't know, like some of these people that have been cut. I, I think it was um, maybe been Alex Zane, who's Ari Starling, I think was signed like in January of this year. Um, even previous cuts, like there are people that have been signed, you know, in the last year or so that they never even got a chance to even be on television. Some of these people are cut as they were being advertised for 205 Live. Bronson Reed was the North American champion three months ago. Um, like I said, I don't know what the purpose is. Um, I've heard rumors of a potential, like, I don't want to say rebranding, but I would say retooling of NXT. Um the last thing I will say is I know everybody's going to, I was going to make a joke and be like, everybody's like, everybody's confirmed to AEW. AEW doesn't need to sign people. Um, but I do hope everybody gets a job because as I mentioned, I don't want to see anybody without a paycheck in any field you work in. All right. Going to me on this and I'll, I'll, I'll wrap up, I'll, I'll wrap up my AEW related stuff on it. Um, of course, like with the releases again, like, yes, Hopefully everyone around here who was in these wave of releases gets work as soon as possible. Um, and if you want to support any of these guys, I'm sure a lot of them will be putting stuff on pro wrestling tees. If you want to support any of these guys and girls, absolutely do that. Support them right now. They'll need that. Um, and in terms of AEW signings, like I said, like their roster is getting to a point where it's like they're not going to be able to go through all these releases and sign like four or five of them that come out um, because their roster is so large right now so um i don't really know who i would want to go to AEW um from this list um and i don't really have anyone i want to comment on with that um though i will say like yes like there are wrestling companies that need talent and these are very talented people and they will find work and i hope they find work um to go off of a jr uh saying it's business um I would like to point out that, like, we haven't been really this critical with WWE and their releases until, like, April of 2020, the one month into the pandemic where they released many people, including Drake Maverick, which was the one that went viral, one month into the pandemic, and they said it was for budgetary reasons, even though they weren't losing money hand over fist. It made no sense business-wise. It made no sense reasoning. Like, no matter how many reasoning it gave to me, like, it made no sense. They didn't need to release these people, yet they did. And again going down the line of the people that they released moving into this year. Some of those people, they then rehired only a few months later after they fired them. So I don't see how you run a business like that where you fire people. And then like within like a couple months, you bring them back. And like, I don't see the, how that's proper way of doing business. Maybe that's just me, but also they were like, 
someone put up a list of like everyone that got released since April of 2020, including the releases that were just released now. Like it got close to a hundred. That is, there is a difference between just business and like I don't know what you're doing anymore. Because again, the only thing that makes any sense to me right now is that they are literally just trying to liquidate NXT or 205 Live. I think, yes. Releases are a part of the business. Not everyone is going to be a main star. We know this in wrestling. We know this in any sport. We know this in any entertainment area. However, there's a way to go about it. And releasing people one month into a pandemic is not a way to go about it. Releasing people during an episode of SmackDown is not a way to go about it. Releasing people that were still advertised for products on the show for 205 Live is not a good way of going about it. I don't know what this company is doing. I don't know. And at this point, I don't see why it would be a good, a happy place to work, considering like, you don't know, there's no job security because you could just get cut straight then and there and you don't even know why. So honestly, it's 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 infuriating just to see the way this company goes about it. And I don't know what they're doing. Like the joke, the joke has gone up where they posted that picture of uh, NXT and the the of how it wants to expand into place like South America and Europe and all these places like that gra- that picture that Triple H was standing in front of and how that is aged very poorly. And I don't want to be too much like ba- like bashing on the company and all that kind of stuff. But like seeing this stuff just makes me upset. And like there's always and the reason why it makes me upset is because, again, like there's been so many releases and this is the issue when you sign so many people and you don't push like 80 percent of them because that's what's happened. You push 20 percent of your roster. The rest of them just sit in catering. That's kind of what's happened. Although for some of them, they were part of the greatest faction in NXT history of Undisputed Era or they were literally just. North American champion just recently. I don't know what they're doing. It's infuriating to watch. I hope these people find work and I hope someone gets some sense of what's going on there because honestly, just seeing Twitter and seeing these releases come out does nothing good and it just makes everyone upset. It makes the vibe for working in that place probably awful and I'm sure like just it must not be a great place to be around right now. And it's just, it's sad, honestly. That's all I got to say. Okay. Uh, my thoughts on it. Uh, yeah, this sucks for everyone, especially people like Ari Sterling. And, you know, I think Mercedes Martinez just is like still recovering from an injury and she got released. It sucks for all of them. Uh, my biggest surprise was Tyler Rust. I'm like, literally, he just got put in a faction, and he was just on TV Wednesday. Uh, I was really, you know, shocked that that happened. But I really want to – I'm going to take it a different way than both of you. Uh, I've You know, I listen to Melter and everything, and they say they're, you know, they're pivoting. And I take this as the NFL team. You know, you have an NFL team that runs a spread offense, you know, they got um, uh, they got uh, the Arizona offense, but you want to run your offense more like, let's say, Pittsburgh, a traditional Pittsburgh offense. You're going to have a lot of people that don't fit your new vision. So when that happens, you're going to have to release them. With WWE, I think it's a pivot in a p- pivot in the developmental. They are getting, and I mean this on the lowest or lower level, they are getting a lot of Shans and Bretts. And they need John Cena's. They need The Rocks. 
they need Hogan's, right? They need people with the size, the strength, and the charisma to be a box office draw. They need to bring in major names. And if you look at any of these 12 people, the future of the WWE wasn't going to be built on them. And that is including that is including Bronson Reed. I like Bronson Reed. I think he's a very talented wrestler. But he's limited on the mic, and he's not very tall. And he's not, like, super athletic. I'm saying this not to discourage him. I'm just saying, but when you're trying to build a company in a new image and your people don't fit that, you release them. It sucks. It does. But now he has the opportunity to go somewhere else. He gets paid 30 days or 90 days, whatever his contract is. And then he has the opportunity to go somewhere else. I I look at any of these 12 people. I don't. If you say, hey, which one's going to, which one do you want in AEW? None. Personally. I, I mean, I feel like we got somebody that does everything that everyone on this list does. I mean, there might be some dark potential. I went through the list and I like thought where they should go, but Impact, MLW, NWA, uh, New Japan Strong, there's more places to work than there's ever been. And there's more places to make money than there's ever been. If they want it, they're going to find the spot and they're going to be successful. I root them all the best. But like I said, I've seen this with Kansas City. I, I saw it when we were running the Mike Marks offense, and then we brought in Todd Haley, and we had to release a bunch of people because they didn't fit the offensive style that they were trying to do. And it's just, it's. I'm not saying it's business because it's not. I'm not saying it's just business. I might be describing it, but I'm not saying it. I'm saying when your company changes directions and changes what they're looking for, there are certain people that don't fit the mold anymore, and this happens. And when when they were hoarding talent, maybe, you know, I might have bitched about it, but I didn't bitch about it a lot. My biggest problem with WWE wasn't hoarding talent. It was that they weren't using it. It's that you had 200 men on the ro- ro- roster, and we were seeing the same match six weeks in a row on Raw and SmackDown. And it was just like, so they were showing these people that they didn't see a future in them anyway. And I think that's something that people one day that want to work for the WWE are going to have to start looking out for. Are you trying to be, are you trying to work? Or are you trying to get a check? And you'll see what happens there. But WWE is going a different direction. They are going to the, if you're not six foot one, we're not looking at you. And if you're not a former supermodel or fitness model, we're not looking at you. It looks like they're about to go that way. And this is the result of that. I, I can't say I agree or disagree, but I did. I did already. I did say this. You are not going to beat AEW in the independent style major television production. You're not going to beat them. They they're, they do this better than anyone. You're not going to beat AEW at their style. And if you're not going to be AEW at their style, what you have to do is offer something different that you can't get in AEW. And I believe 
that's what these releases and signings are leading to them pivoting in that direction. But that's what I, that's what I thought. Anybody want to follow up on what I said or anything before we close it out? I mean, I'll just say I don't, I don't, I don't disagree because it's it's funny because I was literally listening to a wrestling podcast on my bike ride, and they had a, and they were discussing WWE booking back in the late eighties and nineties, and the and the conversation came up: what would have happened if Ric Flair would have came to WWF in the mid eighties? With the greatest wrestler we know, that many people would say in the history of professional wrestling, they said he probably would have got buried because Vince would have pushed Hulk Hogan. Because that's what that's what Vince knows. If and if they're looking at what's not being I mean, what we see as, you know, looking at ratings and stuff, obviously they're making six hundred million dollars. What we're not seeing is what's the conversation between networks and WWE saying, Hey, your ratings on SmackDown and Raw are not where they should be. We need more ratings and where we need big, we need your ratings to increase. So if they somebody said, you know, hey, since we've gone this route of this like independent, as you mentioned, independent style, which they've signed going back to the beginning origins of NXT, they signed a lot of guys from Ring of Honor, whether it was even before that with Seth Rollins or CM Punk, you know, that preceded that. And it's not working anymore. What is Vince going to go back to? What made him big ratings? Those eras of Hogan and Warrior um, and the attitude era where everything was charismatic with the rock and DX and, and Austin. Um, and then with John Cena on the mic. So if that's where they're going, uh, it's going to be, as you mentioned, it's going to be completely different style than what, what AW had. But when we started this Monday night war situation, NXT had arguably as many independent stars or that st- that did that style from the undisputed era and many more as AEW had, but they were trying to do, for lack of a better term, that main ro- main roster style booking, and it wasn't working. So it's gonna be interest. It will be interesting. And and for those who, if someone says I'm being an asshole, when I say business, I'm not saying like that to be callous. It's just I went through. I went personally. I went through this back in July. I got a layoff notice saying like, hey. We're going to implement layoffs. And that feeling, I remember I was at a Walmart and I dropped everything because I literally thought I was not going to be able to have a paycheck anymore. And during a time of recession, getting that would have been, you know, it ended up working out where a union was able to fight against it. But that had been the worst thing in the world because then people started thinking about how long I've been here. So um, and to your point where the where you talk about the NFL uh, Floyd, that I think that's a very apt comparison because as some, uh, and I'll end it with this: like being a Rams fan, um, we just lost our starting running back, and the first thing is like, well, why don't you go get one year old running backs who's on the free agent market? And it was no because he doesn't fit our style anymore because we're going a different direction and we don't want to pay him one point six million, which is his veteran minimum. We rather go with somebody who's younger that's going to do our style that we only have to pay a half a million dollars. All right. Well, that was a lot with all of us on that final note. And it's a rough note to end on for sure. But again, like I will say once again, 
if you want to support any of these people that were recently released and you are a fan of any of these people, definitely if you see them tweet anything or see where they go, see if they put anything on Pro Wrestling Tees, support them. Um, of course, they still have the 90 days, and they'll do that. And then, of course, we'll we'll see what they do afterwards. Hopefully, they all find work wherever they go. But to wrap up this final show, I want to say, again, a massive thank you to JR for joining us once again on the show. It's always a pleasure to have him on. Uh, be sure to check out his Trick or Treaters podcast. And again, where can people find you on social media, JR? Uh Real quick, as always, as I said, it's always a pleasure to get a chance to talk to you, Austin and Floyd. Um, actually, as we're talking, I'm watching All Out 2019, and I, I, I know for a fact that I see Floyd's beautiful face on the front row, and I think I saw Austin in, in your Super Sydney in the fifth yep. row. Yep, we are in like the fifth or sixth row on the hard cam, like straight on. Are you wearing a hat? Yes, I'm wearing an AEW hat, and I think I think it's all in. Yep, shirt. I see yep. your beautiful yep. face. All too, in. So. Yep, that is me. <laughs> so, uh, uh um, you guys can find me at Trick or Treat Pod. That's at Trick or Treat Pod. That is our podcast for the Trick or Treaters podcast. As I mentioned earlier, we just dropped a uh, Fear Street Part One, nineteen ninety four, and next week we will on Friday, Friday the thirteenth, we'll drop hashtag a live review. It is a I'm mistaken, a South Korean zombie flick, uh, Netflix original. All right. Well, with that, again, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of All Things Elite. Be sure to download the show on Google or Apple Podcasts. If you listen to us on Spotify or any other podcasting platform, give us a share with your friends, family, coworkers, whoever you wish. Leave a rating, a review, leave a donation through Red Circle. We are at AT Elite Pod on Twitter, at Social Suplex, other guys that make this show possible and have a bunch of other podcasts. Be sure to check those out. I am at Austin Sumowitz. S-Z-U-M-O-W-I-C-Z for the last name. I know it's hard. And Floyd is at Floyd Johnson Jr. on Twitter. And with that out of the way, I will toss it to Floyd to take us home on this episode of All Things Elite. All right. Um, yes, tough stuff happened this week. Uh, wrestling, but I have to say wrestling is more exciting than it has been in a very, very long time. So make sure you're supporting all the wrestling that you love, all the wrestlers that you love. Uh, but I will leave you with this. Get vaccinated. Be kind. And whether you're at home, work, or school, always do your best to be elite. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the King of Sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.